Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the award-winning Commerce Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Zakwitz, and in today's episode, we're talking sports. So sports today, like every other business, has an e-commerce side to it. So teams use digital channels for not only selling merchandise and tickets, but for driving engagement that feeds into the overall fan experience. This is especially true for minor league teams of all sports, where getting people through the gates is really so critical to their uh, to their success. So I think there's a lot of crossover between sports, especially minor league sports, and retailers today who are really all focused on the customer experience. So I want to take the time to explore this a little bit more today. And joining me for today's discussion is Matt Suter, who's the Director of Marketing and Communications for the AAA National Champions and Tampa Bay Rays Farm Team. They're in Bulls Baseball Club. So welcome, Matt. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks so much for having me. All right, so let's start here. Why don't you give the audience a little background about yourself, you know, what you get into over at the Durham Bulls Baseball Club and kind of what your role is over there. So I am entering my fifth season with the Durham Bulls and entering my second season as Director of Marketing and Communications. And my path is is a little dissimilar to some folks in, well, I'll say the corporate world, but very similar to folks in the minor league baseball world in the sense that, sure, I'm a Director of Marketing and I handle all of our advertising and everything like that, but I never took one business class in college. Uh, no Business 101, no advertising background or anything like that. Um, I initially began is in a broadcasting role. You know, I wanted to be a major league broadcaster and through a couple of internships, a couple of positions, full-time jobs and whatnot, found my path on the other side, certainly in terms of the, the front office side of things. And, you know, media relations was where I got my first full-time job and then added some responsibility like managing our Bronto platform and social media platforms and now have moved on fully fledged to the, the marketing side of things. So it's been an interesting path for me because, again, as I'm as I'm sort of in this role again, entering my second season on the marketing side, a lot of it is trial by fire. A lot of it is learning about click rates and open rates and why those are important and how to make them better. But it's it's been a fun role, and and working with the Durham Bulls is about as good as it gets in minor league baseball. I mean, it's a it's a first class operation, first class front office about as good of an ownership group as you'll find in professional sports at the major league or minor league level. So I've been very, very lucky to find a home here in Durham. So I'm, I'm going to ask you some questions later about your broadcasting career, which I did not prep you for, um, <laughs> but it'll be fun, I'm sure, at least for me. When you guys talk about e-commerce in-house, are you talking about driving ticket sales online, ticket sales at the gate via email and digital channels? Are you guys talk about merchandise? Or is e-commerce, from your perspective, really a small piece of your digital communications, especially email marketing? You know, you just kind of hope for the sales to come after some sort of information. For us at the Bulls, e-commerce is everything. It is where we see a huge number of online ticket sales. And when it, our focus is ticket sales. It's always ticket sales, but obviously we're a seasonal you know, we work within a season really April 1st through September 1st, but then we still have seven other months to fill. So in season, it's all about ticket sales. It's all about individual game ticket sales. It's all about season packages. It's all about special five game packages that we might be offering that we want to make sure our fans are aware of. In the off season, a lot of it does shift to the retail side of thing, things, especially in the October, November, December. You know, what a lot of people will think is that Oh, the Durham Bulls, sure, they have a ballpark corner store is what it's called, but are they open seven days a week? Are they open at all? You know, can I go into the store or, or, you know, is it just all online orders? And so what we want to make sure people are aware of is that we do Black Friday just like anybody else. We do Cyber Monday just like anybody else. We have extended store hours in December just like anybody else. And so we use e-commerce a lot for for that in the off-season. And then, like I was mentioning, you know, once we get into this time of year, February, March, April, May, and onwards, it's it's all about ticket sales. 
So do you have any sense of your email subscriber list? Any sense of how many people are local versus maybe out of, I would say out of state, but out of towners mostly? Because you have people that come in that want to go to Bulls games when they're in, in the Raleigh-Durham area. Some of those might be Charlotte or, you know, somewhat close cities. But you might have subscribers who are, you know, in Iowa, for instance, or Buffalo or whatever it might be. When you guys are sending emails out for, say, ticket sales or merchandise, right, 20% off hats, how much of your sales comes from online revenue driven by those emails or digital channels versus that you're able to track people coming into the to the corner store to actually purchase the hats for 20% off, assuming it is a online and in-store uh, offer? Do you get a sense that those emails or the social posts or whatever are driving more sales online or they're driving more people in-store to actually purchase things? It's definitely online orders. Yeah. You know, it's it's definitely online orders, and that's what we'd like to see. It's it's about eighty percent are local. You know, and, and local as we're saying, you know, the North Carolina, let's say again, maybe the Greater Raleigh, Greater Triangle region. Um, but for us, it, it, a lot of that goal is that hey, we don't want to have to make you come to the store. You know, we don't want to make you come to the stadium. Here's what we offer online, and then you know that'll, in our mind, hopefully translate to purchasing tickets online. Because if you purchase tickets online that means you're committed to coming which means we're probably going to see you at that game so we always like to drive everyone to durhambulls.com at every chance we can and that's why e-commerce is so important for us so it's going to be a challenging i would suspect that minor league baseball usually now there are sellout games here but usually people would think you know hey games aren't sold out there's always some sort of tickets available so I, i've got to believe it's a challenge that you guys face with hey we send an email out saying hey buy some tickets or whatever we have some packages or friday night fireworks whatever it might be but you're always going to have people waiting till the last minute to walk up to the gate and buy tickets or even buy them online the day of the game how do you guys balance sending messages out a week before the game buy tickets do you guys have a, a goal to say hey if we send this email out and it's seven days before we hope to sell X number of tickets, and that's kind of how you figure out how many people will attend because you always assume, hey, 8% of our ticket sales are always gate day of. How do you guys work that ratio or criteria into your messaging, whether it's social or email? So we we don't have a magic formula, unfortunately, which is one of the things that we're looking to get better at. You know, we're we're really trying to work on the analytics. But for us, we have a, a we do have a number in mind that okay, we uh, the day of the every single game at 9 a.m. The person that manages our box office sends out, here's how many tickets have been sold for this game so far. And then we have a magic number that says, a good walk-up is what we call it, and that's what we measure day of game sales. A good walk-up would be this number. So that's what we look to get. And so a lot of times we will look back and say, okay, well, so right now, our day of game sales at 9 a.m. are not where we want them to be. So let's go back and look at it. Is this a trend from, okay, over the last three years, this weekend has never been a good weekend in sales for us? Or is it last year we had a massive you know, attendance on this day and this year we're not gonna come close to that even if we do hit this walk-up number? So that's where we have like a three-year average is what we call it, where we look back and compare it that and then start looking forward, okay, what did we do differently this year? What last year might have spiked that one big game? And then we look to improve on that basically and, and get those three-year averages ahead of time so we can start saying, okay, well, in order to make sure we hit this average or exceed this average, we need to do something differently than what we did at our last homestand. So I, I think there's a lot of parallel there to retailers because they'll do the exact same thing, right? They'll look at, hey, in week 42 last year, we did X, Y, Z, and that fell during these times. And you know, the savvy retailers will look at that and they'll probably go back two to three years to look for you know, was it a blip? Was it something that was happening in the news? Was North Korea bombing us? What the deal was, right? So from your standpoint, you say, hey, there was a blip, but we these are underperforming 
days or weeks for us. What do you guys do differently when you say, hey, we need to do something differently? Is it typically sinking more money into, say, social ads? Are you trying to do something a little more creative with just an organic social post? Is it just extra emails and extra posts going out? What are some of those things that you guys have conversations around and wind up executing? So for us, a lot of it will come down to social media. You know, we, we're very similar to every minor league baseball team in the sense that our budget for everything is limited. You know, we certainly work within the confines of a small budget. And so social media is obviously a, a quote unquote free way to go about getting eyeballs on, on what you're trying to get out there. We do do paid social posts, but even that will be more of a long-term deal of this homestand is coming up, make sure to get your tickets now, you know, and we'll do that four days in advance. So for us, when it's 9 a.m. and we see that those ticket sales are not where we want them to be for that day, it's okay, maybe we hammer Twitter a little bit harder than we do on a normal game day to show we have fireworks tonight, to show what a gorgeous day it is at the ballpark, show green grass, blue skies. Here's a reminder of all the promotions we have tonight. And that's sort of how we look at it is, okay, what do we have to show that people might not be aware of? Because we are aware, again, not everybody opens our emails, obviously, we, we know that. We have a great following on social media, but obviously only a small percentage of our followers see every single post. So what can we do to make sure that those posts are seen at some point throughout the day? Does that mean maybe we post on Facebook four times from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. as opposed to one or two, maybe? Does that mean we beef up our Instagram story to, again, try to get extra eyeballs and have them swipe up to buy tickets? Absolutely. And same with Twitter. So it's just a matter of finding that right formula of blitzing folks without being overbearing. I want to circle back to email and then come back to um, social media because I want to dig in the social a bit because obviously you guys are, I think most sports teams are more fun on social than they are via email or just you know whatever other type of PR they, they wind up doing. From an email standpoint, you mentioned before, hey, the goal is to drive ticket sales, right? But do you ever get a sense of, hey, if we send more of a whimsical type email, something that's not directly driven to ticket sales, with the goal to drive ticket sales, but it's more whimsical or more fun in nature. Do those typically perform better for you? Do they perform about on par? Do they perform a little bit worse for you from say an open and click rate standpoint? We see, we're, we're lucky and, and also flummoxed in a sense that we see very good engagement across any sort of email that we send. So we have a very engaged e-commerce you know, audience, which is great for us, but sometimes it becomes difficult then to track why something succeeded or why something didn't succeed uh, when we have you know, a bigger or smaller success. So for us, it's a matter of just getting people to the website. You know, that's what we're, we're strong believers in our brand and, and that if people know we have games, they're going to want to come. And so for us, you know, we tinker with, again, our subject lines. We tinker with what links we're sending. And like you said, whether it's, hey, there are seven games coming up over the next seven days, or if it's just a Wooly Bull wants to see you and something leave it as easy as that, you know, playing to our mascot. And so that's what we always try to tinker with, as you mentioned, and, and we play around with. But for the most part, we see a lot of on-par results from whether it's a direct sales push or if it's just more of a fun push. Our fans are going to open that email about similar to what they would for any other one and, and probably click similar to what they would for any other one. So that it's very interesting for us to see what would or wouldn't drive someone to, to, to our site. So weather plays a big role because it's an outdoor sport, right? Which, unlike football, will get canceled if there's too much rain for obvious reasons. Let's talk about bad weather for a minute, right? Because that's something where, hey, we got seven games over the next seven days coming out and there's thunderstorms in the forecast or maybe it's coming through. When you wait for last minute ticket people to come up who are, are maybe waiting on weather as one of their factors, do I want to go to the game or not? How do you try to drive sales via, say, social, email, whatever 
channel you're using on days where you know the weather is going to be less than favorable for an attendee? So weather is certainly one of our biggest issues. And, you know, as, as you mentioned, completely out of our control. And the folks that do say, I'd love to see the fireworks tonight, but I don't want to sit in rain to get there. Our motto is always, the game is always on until it's not, <laughs> which obviously is not the most, is not what customers love hearing. But for us, they need to understand that we're going to do everything we can to play that game. You know, we want the folks there. We want people to be able to come out. And so for us, it's being as transparent as possible on social media, because that's where people are going to go. They're going to hop on Twitter. They're going to send us a DM on Facebook and just hope for, to get a quick response. So, hey, what's the weather looking like tonight? It's like, well, you know, obviously there's some rain in the forecast, but just be aware that the tarp is on the field. That tarp is pretty heavy. You know, the, the rain's not going to get through it. And as soon as we have a chance to play, we're going to play. And so for us, it's very important to just be as open as possible, as honest as possible. Because one thing that's important for us is if we do tell folks that, yep, game's on and there's, you know, what rain? What are you talking about? And they show up and there's rain. There's a trust that's lost. You know, they're going to feel betrayed. And for us, it's very important that people aren't stupid. They can look at weather maps on their own, just like us. They're looking at the same maps we are, but that there's a customer service aspect to it that says, hey, we're here and, and we're going to do all we can for you. I think retailers probably struggle with that, less so because there are brick and mortars and things like that, so you don't have to wait in line outside at the Gap, unless you're maybe in Palm Springs or something, but you don't really get a lot of rain out there. But you have weather-related events that come up, right? So if it's raining and I sell umbrellas and it's you know monsoon or it's tropical storm, I can try to push umbrellas, right, and use the weather as a factor there as well. Do you guys ever use rain as a benefit? And I, that's a really weird question to say, but do you ever find it to be an advantage for you to say, hey, there's rain coming up. Some people are just going to not show up to the game because they don't want to wait there for maybe an hour and a half for it to get called. Maybe we can push around, hey, you got three seats to yourself, or there's, you know, there's less crowds there. Have you ever used rain or some sort of bad weather event as a positive spin, or is that just kind of out of the realm for a baseball club? Not really. From a, from a social push and from, a, from an e-commerce push, we don't ever like to say the word rain. You know, we don't ever want to bring it up. We don't ever want to put the idea of rain in someone's mind because we also know that there are people that have tickets to that night's game that maybe work half an hour away and it's sunny where they are and they have no idea that it's raining in Durham. So we don't ever want to put the word rain or put that thought into someone's mind. What does happen, though, is we do get a natural bump in our store on nights where it's colder than it was supposed to be, on nights where rain pops up in the fifth inning, because all of a sudden someone's cold, they didn't bring a jacket, they didn't bring a sweatshirt, their only option is to run downstairs and get one of those you know, Durham Bulls branded hoodies. And so we do see a tick certainly when the weather is different than what it was forecasted, but we won't ever do any sort of online push Again, because it's it's a it's a four letter word that we don't say at the ballpark or online or you know, we avoid it at all costs if we can. Fair enough. Do you guys have a private line for like the VIPs where if you know you're gonna you think you're gonna call a game half an hour before they get a special text message? Nope. Everyone is created equal okay. when it comes to that. I was gonna say I wanna get on that thing. So I wanna circle back to social now because obviously sports teams Social is just a, the natural factor for them, right? It's engagement. It can be real time. You can sit in a stadium. You can be at home. And you can still engage back and forth. Sports teams notoriously are fun social accounts, right? And I think this is the one of the things where retailers can probably take the most away from probably this conversation today is 
sports teams have a way of making their social posts to sound authentic and be very authentic. The LA, LA Kings uh, hockey, perfect example, right? They're always ribbing someone else, and sometimes they probably cross that line a little bit. Do you guys look at other sports teams, whether it's minor league clubs, major league, uh, whatever sport it is, major league clubs, to say, hey, I really like what they're doing on social here. I like kind of the avenue of fun they're having. Let's try to incorporate that. And on the flip side, you ever see something they do and be like, hey, policy, never do that at all. How do you guys view social from an engagement and communication standpoint? So we view social, it's it's exactly what you were saying, is, as sort of a fun avenue to engage with our fans morning, noon, night, you know, all hours of the day. For us, I think what a lot of people lose sight of is minor league baseball is way less about the baseball and way more about the entertainment. You know, there, there's a very big schism between major league baseball, let's say, and minor league baseball, because my, major league teams will see attendance based on quality of the on-field product. If a team is playing well, attendance should go up. If the team is playing poorly, you expect attendance to go down. For minor league teams, on-field performance almost has nothing to do with attendance. You know, fans will go because there's fireworks, because there's dollar hot dogs, because they want their child to get a picture with Wooly Bull. And so it's very important that on social media, we reflect that fun personality. And so that's why for us, you know, we, we've done things in Photoshop where we take our mascot's head and drop them on Clark Griswold's head, uh, you know, for the, the 27th anniversary of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. It has nothing to do with, as you mentioned, driving tickets or driving merch but it just shows that we are a fun brand that you want to be a part of. You want to interact with them. And so to take it one step further, it's the LA Kings, like you mentioned, are almost the blueprint for fan interaction. Uh, the Colorado Rockies also do a great job in terms of fan interaction, where if somebody tweets something favorable to the club, they're going to like it and say, that's a great picture, or wow, like we want to see more of this stuff. And even if someone maybe takes a shot at them out of left field and it's unwarranted, then the account isn't afraid to go back and, and be snarky with them or you know call them out and sort of put them on blast a little bit. And the way that social media is really evolving, you know, people like that. People like seeing their account stand up for themselves and, and take pride. You know, for us, one of our biggest rivals are the Charlotte Knights. And obviously there's a little bit of a rivalry between Raleigh and Durham and, and Charlotte for, for a couple different reasons. Um, but so last year we, we dominated Charlotte and we took a couple shots at them on Twitter and, and people really responded well because there's a sense of pride to it. And so it's, it's a great way for us to tap into our fan base and see what do they respond to. You know, is there pride for the team? Is there pride for their city? Are they in following us because we give them laughs? You know, is it, are they following us because we have compelling imagery? It's all that different things that really helps us form our fan base and, and what our fans look for. Do you guys ever communicate with other clubs before a game or a homestand or anything and say, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna jab you this weekend on say XYZ topic, maybe something's happening over there, right? But we're not gonna cross this line and you coordinate with them to try to drive engagement. Do you guys ever do that? We've done it once or twice, and the results were not good. And I think it's because, you know, it's, it's when you try to force something, fans can sort of see it. You know, because it's, it's sort of like you mentioned, hey, we're not going to bring up XYZ. We're not going to cross this line. So there's no snark. There's no, it's just back and forth. Okay, but the fan, there's no burn. You right. know, there's, no, there's nothing for a fan to go like, oh, wow. And so for us, it, those conversations will happen organically. And that's when it's really fun for a social media manager or a fan base because you can tell that there is a level of, I don't want to say disdain, but there is a level of, again, maybe hometown pride behind that account that 
I'm going to come at you with a haymaker, and I know if I land this, we're going to get 300 retweets and 1,000 likes, and then it's up to you to come back with, okay, what, what can you say about the Durham Bulls? What can you say about the triangle that's going to get your fan base really engaged? Have you ever crossed the line? Not you specifically, but, well, maybe you specifically, but uh, has your team ever crossed the line where the other club actually gave you guys a call or sent an email and said, hey, you know what, you went too far. Don't let it happen again. There have been, yeah, definitely, uh, and and I'll own up to that. I mean, I run our social accounts, and and I certainly, again, I I have pride for this city, as I mentioned. Again, I've been here longer than expected, and definitely grown to be a Durhamite, and I love it here. And I think that sometimes that maybe gets in the way of of the overall business goal. It's okay if I tweet this out, you know, what is what is the goal of this? And am I just tweeting this for my sake because I have hometown pride, or am I tweeting this because this would be good for our business? And that's definitely a line to to balance. Are you the one tweeting during the games? Yes. All right, so I always tweet when I go because I take my kids a couple times a year, and obviously, Bronto, we have season tickets there. So it's right across the street, for those that don't know, directly across the street from our, our offices here. There have been times where I, I tweeted something. I, I have new glasses now, uh, but I don't check, right, because i got two kids eating, <laughs> eating 12 snacks at a time. And there was one time last year I tweeted something, and whatever the autocorrect was, it made no sense whatsoever, right? And I didn't attach a picture with it, so it was out of context, and you guys ribbed me for it. So thanks for that. Do you guys, I, I, I think the, the takeaway for retailers there is authenticity, right? You mentioned that you guys use user-generated content because it's, it's natural for you. So one place where retailers often get in trouble when they struggle with social media is the fact that they either try to force something, right, and it doesn't come around as authentic, or they're trying to do something and it's all professional photography versus just taking what users give them. So if you're a retailer listening today, certainly look at the the social media aspect of user-generated content, engaging and actually communicating back and forth with your brand. Don't just like something they tweet about you. Respond to them. Say something, and if you want to be smirky, if that's your brand's voice, I'm thinking of Moose Jaw as an example, live up to your brand, uh, your reputation there. Fan experience is big for you guys. So obviously minor league baseball, hockey to some extent as well, but you guys are notorious for, and I think it's every club in the US, these kind of special promotions, right? Bark at the park and uh, may the fourth be with you. How do you guys come up with these? Is there is there one guy sitting in a room who just sells these things to all the clubs and here's some ideas? Do you guys sit around the brainstorm or are you guys comfortable with what you have on a year to year basis and you just kind of replicate as, as years go? Yeah, so one of the ways that we start is is we look at a calendar and say, are there any anniversaries coming up? Or what resonates with the community that would be a big for us? So for us, you know, we started a Derm Night a few years ago with local clothing company Runaway, which right up the street uh, from the from the ballpark. And, you know, someone, it's going back to some user-generated content, someone tweeted at us in the fall, hey, why don't the Durham Bulls wear a uniform designed by Runaway? That would be sick. And it got a couple of retweets and a couple of likes, and all right, let's explore this. Got in touch with the Runaway guys, and all of a sudden we have this massive event where it's you know the Durham Bulls are going to going to wear a uniform on field designed by a local clothing company that's a startup, you know, run by two guys that went to Durham Public High Schools. And all of a sudden there's this really cool, unique community storyline that's involved with it. So from one standpoint, we do look at okay, what do our fans want to see from us, and how do we make that work? Another standpoint is, again, what, what can we look at on the, on the schedule that's going to make fans lose their mind or what's going to make fans excited? So an example of that would be this year is the 30th anniversary of the movie Bull Durham. So, you know, sort of a, a movie that put the Bulls and minor league baseball on the map. How do we have a D- Bull Durham night that's going to make fans want, want to come, get excited, have a nostalgic feel? And then there's other nights that 
every team does because they know it's going to be successful. And that's what you said. May the fourth be with you. Every single minor league team does a Star Wars night because in every corner of this country, there is a market for Star Wars fans. And you wear unique uniforms. Uh, maybe you get members of the 501st Legion out there, things like that. And so it's interesting across minor league baseball to see, okay, what is a community initiative that's only going to work for that one community? And in our sense, you know, that might be Durham Night. It's, it's a very unique storyline. Bull Durham makes sense for us because obviously it's our team, our, our movie, if you want to call it that. But at the same time, there's other minor league teams doing Bull Durham Nights this year just because it is the 30th anniversary. People love the movie, and it's still minor league baseball. They can still grab onto it. Or is it a Star Wars night? Is it a Harry Potter night? You know, or just these massive phenomena that every team is going to be able to capitalize on regardless of what it is. So you guys have plans to rib all the teams that are doing Bull Durham uh, <laughs> things this year and being like, oh, thanks for celebrating us. Not really. It's, we don't have plans for it, but a lot of it, again, comes back, to, comes back to the social side of things. If we see something on Twitter that, that pops up and there's an opportunity to rib someone, we're going to take it. Uh, but a lot of that stuff is just organic. It, no plans for that. Do you guys have any crazy ideas in-house that someone thought of that you guys completely shelved? And like, that is a great idea, but we should never do that. Like, <laughs> like Matador Night, right? We, we've definitely had some of those ideas that I don't want to go on record as saying. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's really interesting, again, to look at the brainstorming of things that you can and can't do. Um, for instance, we had an idea that I won't go into too much detail about, but it was basically a Bitcoin-style night where you know we wanted to sort of give fans money and... One thing, if something happened on the field, money could be taken away from them. And if something else happened, they could gain money. And we come to find out that that's illegal in the state of North Carolina, you know, because it, you know, for various reasons, we just couldn't execute that. So we enjoy coming up with these ideas and saying it would be a lot of fun, but here's the 15 hurdles we'll have to get through to really make it work. What's your favorite idea that either you guys do or you don't do that someone else does? I'm a big fan of, of Durham Night. I think it's a really unique storyline in the sense that, again, you have this iconic minor league baseball team who's very traditional in the way that it does things. And then there's this, you know, again, local clothing startup who are two Durham guys. They're younger guys who sort of have an edgy style to their brand. So in inherently, runaway clothing, the Durham Bulls would never mesh. But then all of a sudden you do a one-off jersey design and it's a community feel and it's people... You know, people refer to Durham as Durham, you know, D-U-R-M. And so to see that come together one night a year is really, really unique. And I think that's sort of the heart of minor league baseball is how do you connect with the community? How do you connect with these, you know, different types of people that, again, do hipsters love the Durham Bulls? Sure, but maybe it's because we have 70 types of beer at the stadium and they don't come every night. But all of a sudden you introduce a larger group of hipsters, let's say, who love runaway clothing to the Durham Bulls. And maybe they come back to one or two, three games a year. And all of a sudden we just grow that community feel and show that, yeah, we're in tune with our community. We know what goes on here and we have something for you at our games. Do you guys ever talk about how to get millennials into the stadium? Right, Because it's it certainly, we, I've covered millennials a lot and we've had millennial experts on the, the podcast and things like that. And they get a bad rap, but everyone is kind of doing millennial stuff now. They're on their phones, and they know how to work their phones, and attention spans, I think, in general across the board are, are shorter. You know, But they certainly are a generation that's all about experiences, so I think there's a natural fit there for baseball. Do you guys do anything specific for millennials, whether it's, hey, buy a ticket to the stadium, but you don't actually get a seat, and you can walk around and do stuff? Because there's certainly a lot of social gathering places in the ballpark you know, with bars and things like that in there. Do you guys have conversations about millennials specifically? And if so, 
Have you guys done anything to target them? Absolutely. I mean, millennials are huge for us because as you mentioned, you know, there's a, it's a massive group of people that have disposable income that are all about experiences. And so for us, it's a matter of what can we do on a weekly or a monthly basis that will target them. You know, and, and so we've tried food truck fests in the past and food truck fests were popular for a few years, then lost some momentum. So then we tried to move to uh, what we call trucks, beats and brews, where there's live music, craft beer and fewer food trucks. But again, it's this experience of live music. It's this experience of craft beer tasting that had some momentum and then it sort of ran out. So this year we're experimenting with food truck Fridays. Maybe it's it's not one event, but it becomes ingrained in folks so they know every Friday there's fireworks but at the same time every Friday there's food trucks so we take ideas like that at the same time we are experimenting with again flex plans when it comes to ticket packages okay Millennials don't like to plan they don't want to know that if they buy a nine game package they're going on June 1st and June 15th and June 30th and it's all mapped out for them so is there a way to sell five tickets over the course of a season that don't have any fixed game, but they show up the day of the game, show their pass or whatever it may be, here's two tickets. You know, because we, we know that folks like coming to our games. We, we see it on Instagram. You know, Instagram is a huge thing for millennials and they love holding up the, you know, their glass of beer and holding it over a sunset <laughs> in the stadium and getting 200 likes on their post. You know we, know, we know that they enjoy it and it's an Instagrammable place, but it's just a matter of showing to them, hey, we're, we're trying to work with you and, and fit your needs and, and here's what we're doing to do that. I like the flex plan idea. I'm not a millennial, but I like the idea because I have two kids, small kids at home and we'd like taking them to the games, but getting locked in a specific, I, I don't know what's going on, right? They could be in sports at the time. They might not be in sports. We could be out of town for something. I love the idea. So feel free to push with that. <laughs> uh, one more question before we kind of get into some fun stuff here. I work with some local nonprofits just from a, a marketing standpoint. I coach you T-ball because it's very tough. You got to herd kids in, right? Um, how do I get to throw out a first pitch at a game? We are very, very protective of first pitch, <laughs> pitches. We are one of the few minor league teams to have that philosophy. Uh, to give some background, so I again, I'm going on season five with the Durham Bulls. Prior to working with the Durham Bulls, I spent a year with the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. Triple A team, very well run organization. And they average, I'd say, 20 to 30 first pitches a game. Really? So they're in the standpoint that if you buy a group of, I believe it's either 20 or more or 50 or more, someone from that group gets to throw out a first pitch. And then if, if you're the presenting sponsor for that night, you get to throw out a first pitch. And, and, and if there's a special guest, they get to throw out a first pitch. So all of a sudden, you have an, a, a true assembly line of people that are on the field to throw their first pitch and then have the ball return to them as they go line up after they throw that. For the Durham Bulls, we have about 10 first pitches a year, and that's on the high side. Um, you gotta be somebody to, to throw first pitch for, you know, we'll always have somebody on opening day. Mayor Bill Bell, or former Mayor Bill Bell, you know, who was the mayor of Durham for 16 years, you know, threw a first pitch uh, last season on opening day. It was his outgoing year, but um, it's, it's tricky to get finagled in there. I run this successful podcast. <laughs> do you know who I am? Uh, hey, if there's anything you could do, grease some wheels, whatever you need to do, I'm all about it. Hey, I'll keep it in mind. I'll definitely <laughs> keep that in mind. <laughs> That's the official no. Company line. <laughs> From an e-commerce and sports standpoint, anything I neglected to ask you that you think is important for the audience to know? From a minor league standpoint, I think e-commerce is very interesting because, as I mentioned the you know, the top of the podcast, a lot of folks who work in marketing and, and at least minor league baseball 
are not marketers by trade. You know, you get a lot of folks who maybe just fell into a role, you know, maybe they were a, a sales rep for two or three years who excelled at that role and wanted to shift gears in the in the company gave them a chance to do so. Again, I was a media relations baseball information guy who between a couple of different scenarios ended up in this marketing role. And so especially when it comes to e-commerce, I don't want to say that a lot of us don't know what we're doing, but it's definitely a lot of, you know, we need handholding from from the folks that we work with. And and again, this is maybe a shameless plug for Bronto, but Bronto has been a fantastic partner. Uh, they've been a fantastic partner for, for me over the last year, just in terms of explaining w- why something is important or how to how to look at this set of data, or have you ever thought about remailing? You know, remailing was something we never would have ever thought it, thought of at the Durham Bulls, but it's, hey, let's target the, you know, let's make sure that this sends out in four days to anybody who didn't open this email so they're still aware of what we're doing. And so for us, a lot of it is, you know, I know Bronto goes by the, the crawl, walk, run scenario, you know, the way I look at it, we're just starting to crawl with a purpose. You know, we always crawled, but now we were at least crawling towards <laughs> a goal. Um, and so it's it's really unique for us, you know, and a lot of people in this industry to really sit down and, and think about what their goals are for email marketing rather than just, we have a ticket plan that we want to promote, throw a graphic up, blast it out there, and don't look at any analytics. You know, don't look at anything on the back end or, or why it was successful or why it wasn't. And that's really unique to our industry in the sense that, again, e-commerce is very, very important for the Durham Bulls. But for many, many years, we didn't devote the resources that we needed to to really be successful at it. How is your team structured? Do you have, you said you did the social media. How many people do you have dedicated to social? How many do you have dedicated to email and just other channels? Give the audience a little background about the makeup of your team. Yes, yeah, so, so in our marketing department, uh, again, marketing communications, again, minor league baseball, small staff, small budget. Uh, I'm somewhat of a one-man band when it comes to actually producing the content. So, you know, the ideas, what we're gonna blast out, that will come from me. And then we do have a graphic designer who designs all of the artwork for it. But when it comes to strategy, again, the analytics side of things, breaking everything down, that's basically a team of one. And so for me, again, it's been a really eye-opening experience as to e-commerce could easily, for a minor league baseball team, be a full-time job. And, and you know, I don't know of any minor league team that has one person whose only job is that, whereas obviously you have retail companies and everything who have teams dedicated to it. And it's not the same business, but obviously you know, there are some parallels. And so for us, it's a matter of, okay, what can one man truly dedicate to this while also working on social media, while also working on advertisements and traditional media, while also worrying about the theme nights at the ballpark and, and everything in between. You mentioned Charlotte. I mean, Charlotte's two hours down the road. You mentioned there's a pretty good rivalry there. Is that the most attended opponent you guys have? The uh, Pawtucket Red Sox, who are the Boston Red Sox affiliate, and the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders, who are the New York Yankees top affiliate. Those are what we see general upticks in, um, especially in this area. Again, a lot of northern transplants, so a lot of Yankees fans, Boston fans, and you know, branching out from there, even like Patriots fans for football and stuff. So those are when we see you know, true upticks in our attendance and we can count on those because of who we're playing. Other than that, there isn't too much of a of an uptick. You know, we, we play the Washington Nationals top affiliate every year. Don't see anything from that. We play the Baltimore Orioles top affiliate. Don't see too much from that. And we play the Atlanta Braves top affiliate, you know, many times every year. And from my perspective, I would think that we would see an uptick in attendance with them because for many years, the Durham Bulls were the Atlanta Braves minor league team. So you have a lot of folks in this area that are Braves fans because 
they were Bulls fans first. And we've since transitioned to, as you mentioned, the Tampa Bay Rays. But for us, really, it's the it's the Red Sox and the Yankees are the only ones that really we see. Yeah, that makes sense. Me and my wife always joke around because we always it's seemingly we always go when they're playing Gwinnett. We're like, <laughs> why are we always going when they're playing Gwinnett? It doesn't make any sense. All right, I want to get you out of here on some more fun questions. Okay. What's the best baseball movie? And you can't say Boulder. Great question. Uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna flake. I'm gonna hedge. I'm gonna say for comedy, it's Major League. Major League is pretty darn quotable. Uh, it has some great stuff in there. And then from a nostalgia standpoint, Field of Dreams. Uh, Field of Dreams, just for me, that's a true, you know, just connecting with your family and friends. And that's what, to me, you know, what baseball is sort of all about. Which ballpark food could you not live without? Hot dogs. Hot dogs. I, lo- I love hot dogs. All right, so is a hot dog a sandwich? In my mind, yes. It's, it's something that's between two pieces of bread. Well, some people might argue it's one piece of bread because it folds, but I'm going to say that a hot dog is a sandwich, yes. All right, so if anyone's listening, this is where you need to go to social and start <laughs> taking it to Durham Bowls and having this discussion. Which is better, a walk-off home run or a walk-off hit where the runner scores and there's a play at the plate? For me, it's a walk-off home run. Yeah, I, I definitely get the excitement of a play at the plate, and it's it comes down to the second and the excite, the adrenaline of waiting to see the umpire's call. But for me, it's the spectacle of a home run. You know, the guy rounds the bases at his own pace. He takes his time. The entire stadium can celebrate the win during the home run, and then the the helmet toss before he's at home plate. For me, it's a walk-off home run. All right, you used to do play-by-play. What's the hardest part about doing play-by-play? The hardest part about doing baseball play-by-play is when something actually happens. Because you're on the air for three hours, and most of it is, and the one-two, high, ball two. And then when all of a sudden there's a ball hitting to the gap, and you have to follow the ball, and there's three runners on base, and you have to say who's scoring and who's advancing to every base, and then go back to where the ball is, and then say who's safer out or anything like that. And all of that happens in a span of about five seconds, six seconds. So you have the most action in the game is going to happen in this tiny little segment. And you have to be able to accurately portray it in a clear, concise manner when you're sort of lulled into a sense of relaxation for the other two hours, 59 minutes, and 55 seconds. Who's the best, your, your favorite uh, baseball broadcaster? He has retired, but Vin Scully yeah. was just unbelievable at how he could paint a picture and truly the way he he would describe a scene you knew exactly what was going on you know he, he called a perfect game back in the 1950s and and to me the the bottom of the ninth it was the top of the bottom of the ninth inning of him describing you know he takes a step off the rubber lifts his cap and brushes some butterflies or some gnats away from his face it's it's just amazing how you can see exactly what's going on just by hearing his voice Ever say anything on the air that you wanted to take back? Too many times. Uh, there was uh, one time last year our broadcaster was filling in. At, he uh, was at the Rio Olympics, and I filled in for a few games. And I was trying to be Vin Scully and describe the clouds that were overhead. And I used the word pluffy clouds, uh, a combination of fluffy and puffy. And it's just one of those things where you say it, and you just sort of put your head down and shake your head as you still keep talking. And, you know, things like that happen all the time. But... I think, again, there's, there's some element of authenticity that broadcast that you know, hey, this guy's just like you or me. You know, he's just trying to say what he, say what he says. See, on normal radio, you can stop and, and be like, hey, I'm making up my own words on the show, you know. Can't, it's hard to do that in baseball. Exactly. I like that, though, Pluffy. If you were a player and had to come out to a song, what song would you come out to? Start Me Up by the Rolling Stones. Uh, my father was a huge, huge influence on me in my baseball career. 
he always loved hearing that. He he coached my little league teams growing up, and on the way to games, we would listen to "Start Me Up" every time because that was his thing. Uh, so easily start me up. Very good. Any questions for me? I don't. Th- it, it, you know, I know that Bronto and and you know e-commerce in general. You know, you guys work with every sort of business on every end of the spectrum, and you know, I'm, I'm curious as to what you see from from sports teams and successes and failures, and you know where where you guys think we could improve. Well, you know, it's interesting because I used to do consulting here at Bronto, and uh, I used to have sports teams, minor league teams that uh, were part of my client roster. And one was uh, two were hockey, one was baseball. It's interesting because they had the exact same challenges that you guys face, right? The people on the call in the marketing department, they were not traditional e-commerce or marketing people, right? They were people that wanted to work in sports and, hey, we got this email thing, we got this social and go figure it out. So they had a lot of the same challenges, right? And driving people through the gates was a big one. It's interesting because they had different communication styles, right? One would send out like day of game type info. So game starts here, here's your starting lineups or here's blah, blah, blah. And it was a lot of detail and text. I don't think those really work that well because people tune them out too quickly. It's a lot of information. They can just go on Twitter and check out who the starting pitcher is or whatever. The things that generally worked well for them were the image type stuff leading up to the experience. Hey, fireworks on Friday. Or, you know, if it was hockey, they would do these cool things where maybe they throw teddy bears on the ice after the first goal and all the bears went to like Children's Cancer Hospital or whatever. And it was the experiential things that really drove people to engage on email or social for them. So I actually like your emails that you send out. Um, So I don't think you need to do much there. Just keep at it. I'm always interested from a retailer perspective, right? You want to drive ticket sales online. You want to drive things online. I'm always interested in, in trying to get people to get into the store because I would guarantee you if they go into that store, their basket size is going to increase, right? They're going to pick up the extra thing for their kid or they're going to pick up the extra shirt that maybe is not available online that they saw in the store or whatever it might be. You know, you kind of get that. So how retailers drive people in store? Hey, if it's 20% off hats, maybe they get an extra 5% off if they come in store to get it. You know, something like that where they can still buy it online, they can still get a deal, but we get them into the ballpark. I mean, we can sell them a ticket package or something while they're there, right? So you kind of put that in there. I think that's the biggest challenge for a lot of people, sports or otherwise. It's somewhat easy to get to your store. You guys are lucky where you have a corporate center right across and there's a lot of public parking around. Some stadiums are just not located in places you wouldn't actually go to or around a lot of businesses. So um, I think you guys have an advantage there. But I think that's probably one of the areas where play with it a little bit and see if you can drive people in store without really giving up a lot of margins. And it's interesting you say that because it's it's one of those things where, again, we view the stadium in general as our store, if you will. You know, so that's why we're okay if if we end up doing a, a buy one, get one half off ticket deal. We know that we'll probably recoup that on the concessions or the merchandise or whatever. But it's interesting because what you just mentioned, we've never experimented with for, again, the seven months of the year that we don't have games at the ballpark. We still want people to the store. We still want them in there. But, you know, we've never really focused on on deals like that. So it's And that's the kind of stuff that, again, that's why we love Bronto. And that's why we'll continue to partner with you just because it's that's all the stuff that nobody on our staff thinks about or has ever thought about and would, would never think about. So it's, uh, you know, like I said, we're, we're crawling towards the purpose, as I like to put it. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll start walking soon enough. <laughs> the logistics are probably tough for you as well. Uh, do you guys ship directly out of your store? We do. Yeah. Maybe the logistics aren't tough. Do you guys any ever do, uh, and I should probably know this, but like buy online, pick up in store? You can, but that's like by request only. Okay. You know, it's, it's not like a widely offered thing. You know, a lot of retailers, that's a big thing. And I think it's going to become bigger just for brick and mortar retailers, you know, that sell widgets. It's convenience for them. They can buy it. If they have to pay for shipping, they save on the shipping, but you get them into the store. 
majority of people, around 64, 65%, when they go into like a Walmart or a Target, they buy something else when they go in there, even though they've already paid for the order. So it's one of those ways where, again, you're not giving up anything, but you get the people in the store and then the visual takes over and they're like, ah, maybe I'll buy a hat while I'm here. So beyond that, I got nothing else for you. I'm sure we'll talk <laughs> offline for something. I'll always give you advice if you want. I'll take you up on it. Be careful what you ask for. <laughs> so we'll have, Matt, uh, info in the show notes on how to contact you if people do want to get a hold of you, ask you a question, or just kind of hit you up for a first pitch request. Uh, but what's the best way they could get a hold of you? Is it uh, tweeting at you? Is it email? Yeah, email's the best way. msuter at durhambulls.com. That's, that's the go-to right there. Uh, just like many many listeners, I'm tuned into my email way too much. I need to disconnect sometimes, but yeah, that's absolutely the best way to do it. Yeah, I don't really know how many people are listening to this, so <laughs> <laughs> you may never get an email. Uh, all right, Matt Suter, Director of Marketing Communications for the Durham Bulls. Thank you very much for your time, Matt. And to those listening, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Certainly let me know whether you did or did not, if there are topics you'd like to hear about or you're interested in telling your e-commerce story. I'd love to hear from you. And until next time, have a great day, everyone, and be kind to one another. 